If you have your Bible with you, you can open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll refer back to this passage in a little later. It probably would be good, at least to start here, to hear the Lord speak before anything else. 1 Timothy chapter 4, follow along with me as I read verses 11 through 16. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, as we heard once already, we will pray together once again. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Father, would you do your work among your people by the authority and the power of your word, directing our eyes to Jesus through the ministry, the comforting, the calling, the compelling, the drawing of your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would bring conviction where needed and that you would comfort as we need it. In all these things, we ask that we would have a very high view, not only of you, but of the word that you have given us. In Jesus' name we ask for this. Amen. So we are going through a brief series on the elements of our worship service. We've done a call to worship. We have talked about singing. We talked last week about praying. And this Sunday, we're talking about preaching. Um, not too long ago, well, I say not too long ago, that's a relative term, right? Sometime back in the first decade of 2000, right? Uh, there was a, a, a well-known Christian author. He'd written a book, doesn't matter what the book is. Uh, also a well-known blogger. Made a little bit of a stir because he, um, after being someone that, that people referred to, you know, often for, you know, views and insights on Christianity and, uh, and the Word and stuff like that, he admitted that he did not attend church very often. Hardly ever, he said. And the explanation or the reason that he gave for that went something like this. This is a, a, a poor paraphrase, but this is, this is essentially what he said. Two things sort of went hand in hand. He didn't go to church very often because he found that, one, he was not the type of person who would emote to singing. And then, two, he was not the kind of person that felt particularly close to the Lord by sitting and listening to a lecture for 30 minutes. By that, of course, he meant preaching. That was some... 10 or 15 or more years ago. Preaching is, I don't know that preaching has ever necessarily been a fashionable thing. It's a little odd when you start to think about it. But certainly we would say that what was expressed by that man is probably a sentiment that's carried by a lot of people and something that's reinforced by the culture and society and just the way that life is now. We are much more disposed to image-based communication these days. Instagram, YouTube, right? If we don't see it, it's not real, or to see it is to make it substantive. And preaching is words. We tend to be much more, at least by lip service anyway, much more geared towards sort of the dynamic social interaction. We like to be in conversation with one another. 
But preaching is not much of a conversation, is it? Right, see? <laughs> and so we come here, not just here at Edgewood, I don't want to make it sound like we're the only ones who do this, but God's people, for thousands of years, have had a few things that have been in common. Preaching is one of them. So in spite of the fact that the culture is moving us towards images and dynamic interaction and conversation and we want bells and whistles and stuff like that, you come here on a Sunday morning and you sit not for 30 minutes. You sit for 35, for 40, for 45, sometimes even 50 minutes listening to someone speak. Why do you do that? Okay. The interesting thing is that when you go to the scriptures for as central or important an issue that we make out of preaching, it's very difficult, I'd say actually impossible, to go to any passage in scripture that actually defines what preaching is in terms of a chapter and verse. You shall preach in this way or in this manner. Rather, I think what you have, Old Testament and New Testament, you have sort of these common trends or features or characteristics beginning with the prophets in the Old Testament carried over to Jesus and his earthly ministry to the disciples who then would become apostles and those who came after them who had as a primary responsibility the declaring of God's word to his people and to anyone else who would listen to it. So here's what we're going to try to do. We're, I will try to give a very simple maybe overly simplistic, definition of what we mean when we talk about preaching. And then we want to go through, work through the scriptures to say, here is why preaching is the centerpiece of our gathered worship together. And, here's, and why we want to keep it that way. So you have this working definition in your notes. If you got one of the little sermon outlines... This is not the end-all, be-all definition. You could define it in any number of different ways, but I think it, it would go something like this. By preaching, what we mean when we talk about preaching, preaching is the public declaration of God's own word in the Scriptures, revealing who He is and what He's done through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And then we say in light of what the scriptures teach, that wherever God's word is preached, there God is speaking to his people by his spirit. Preaching is the public declaration of God's own word in the scriptures. Notice, there is something unique about preaching in the scriptures. It is not, first and foremost, a conversation or a dialogue. It's something that is done in view and in hearing of multiple people. It's a declaration, it's an announcing, it's a proclaiming, not of opinion, not of ideas. It is a proclaiming of God's word that is found in the scriptures. And that word is given to us to be declared to us as his people so that we can see and know something through the preached word of who God is and what he's done in the work of salvation. But let me remind you in the same way that we saw last week from John 6 that the flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit who gives life. Preaching in and of itself in terms of the exercise is no magic formula or it is not any kind of magic incantation by which as long as you get a preacher up here to say some good things from Scripture, it's going to have some sort of magical effect. For both the preacher and the hearer, unless the Spirit as it is at work through God's Word, through the utterance, through the speaking of God's Word, and in the receiving of God's Word, preaching will be an empty exercise. Personality makes no difference. Vocabulary, sophistication, education, helpful, but that's not the determining factor. If God is not working through His Word, by His Spirit for His people, 
the results would be just the same if I went out to Park Hill Cemetery and preached to gravestones. Nothing would happen. So we come every morning and we say that one of the things that we want to make or the thing that will be central to our gathered worship is the preaching of God's Word. We believe, as we'll see in a minute here, that what is happening in the act of preaching is that the Word of the King, whom we've just been singing about, that the Word of the King is being delivered to His people by an appointed messenger. That's what's happening in, a, in an overly simplistic way. So, let's start this way. Number one, as we've done with every element of our service, we don't just want to simply say, is there anything wrong with it? We want to say, what's right with it? Where in Scripture do we see or gain insight that the Lord is directing His people to sit under the preaching of His Word? We would say that preaching is not just a good idea, but preaching is biblical. And we see this in two ways. Number one, we see it by way of a clear example. Follow with me in some of these passages of Scripture. Start with me in the book of Mark. Look at the way that Mark introduces the gospel, that is, the story, the good news about what Jesus has accomplished for the salvation of his people. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel, or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then look at verse 4. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark begins his gospel, and he says in one sense, you could start the whole story with a preacher who is sent as a messenger to tell God's people to get ready to see the Lord. But you go down a little bit further, and it's not just John who comes in preaching. Skip down in Mark 1, down to verse 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Jesus' ministry is characterized by preaching and teaching. So much so that there's actually a little bit of an unsettling scene in the very first chapter of Mark. Skip down towards the end of chapter 1 and look at verses 38 and 39. In verse 36, Simon and his companions are searching for Jesus. They say in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. They're looking for him because Jesus has been, the, over the last day or so, has been healing people of sickness and disease. A new day comes, and more people need to be healed. Jesus, they're looking for you. The line is backing up. The crowds are here. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark 1.38. Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. People who are sick that Jesus can heal, he leaves in their sickness so that he can go somewhere else to preach. Does that make anyone else uncomfortable? Where's the grace and love, Jesus? Where's the mercy and the compassion? Why not heal these people and then go and preach after that? Ultimately, I think what we see in the Gospels, what we see in Acts, what we see in the New Testament letters, 
what Jesus himself will say is that even more important than people being made comfortable with good health is that they be made right with God through the preaching of his word. There are worse things in life than not having good health. What is worse than not having good health is not knowing God's voice. Because if you know God is your creator and king, if you know Jesus as your savior and as your redeemer, whatever sickness, disease, illness you may have, that's temporary. It's going to come and go. You will be resurrected just as he was if you have responded to the word of the Lord. But if you have not heard his word calling you to repentance and faith, if you have not repented of your sin and turned and put your trust in him for your salvation and acknowledging him to be Lord and Savior, no amount of good health in this life will amount to anything in the life to come. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. It's not just simply that Jesus preaches. Or even if we had time, we could look in Mark chapter 3 to see where Jesus is said to choose and appoint 12 disciples so that he could send them out to preach. But skipping ahead to the book of Acts, start with me in chapter 2 at verse 41. The church is birthed in preaching. Peter has just preached the very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost, announcing the fact that the one that Israel had crucified has been raised again to be Savior and Lord. And we read in Acts 2.41, So then, those who had received, what? His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. The church is birthed with a bang. 3,000 people brought to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by the means of preaching, by hearing and responding to God's Word being declared. But notice then, still in Acts chapter 2, look at verse 42. It wasn't just that you get the initial word or the initial sermon or message that brings you into faith. This now marks the way that you live as a Christian with your Christian brothers and sisters. In Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Skip over to Acts chapter 5. Verse 42. The apostles have been threatened and beaten by the religious authorities and sent out, ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they've been released. Acts 5.41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day... In the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The word is spreading through the preaching of the apostles, and as the word spreads, the church grows. So much so that if you look later in Acts, in Acts chapter 12, go ahead and flip over there. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. In Acts 12, 24, the growth of the church is now viewed as synonymous with 
the spread of God's word. So that in this one seemingly parenthetical verse, a massive profound statement is made. Acts 12, 24, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. In the flow of the storyline of Acts, what is being said there is that as the word is spreading, the church is growing. In other words, to say that the church grows is to say that the word is growing in its effect on God's people. That is how closely aligned the preaching of God's word is with his church and with the growth and development of the church. If God's word is not being preached, publicly declared as an authoritative word for the Lord, the church is dead. All of that's by way of example, though, right? So you could say if you were uber skeptical or cynical of this stereotypical preaching. Yes, 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 Merritt, that's what they did, but that doesn't necessarily say that that's what we must do ourselves, right? That's just a record of what happened. Who's to say that that's the way it's supposed to continue now in 2023? I mean, we're far more sophisticated. We have a lot more technological advances than those first century people did. The church has progressed. It's moved on. Preaching is passe. It's outdated except for the fact that God commands preaching to be done. It's not just by way of example. So, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul nearing the end of his life. Most people believe, probably a a good, good deduction, good interpretation, that this may have been the last letter that Paul wrote. He's anticipating that he's going to be executed, martyred for the faith. And this is his last letter to Timothy, who who had a unique and special relationship, sort of as Paul's right-hand man. The last words that Paul can give to his understudy, what would it be? Listen to what Paul says. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. The very last specific command that Paul gives to Timothy concerning his formal public ministry is, Timothy, whatever you do, be sure that you continue to preach. Preach what? What what is Timothy going to preach? Preach the word, Timothy. This, this. Not opinion, not surveys, not ideas. Preach the word. Listen, people, because God has commanded his church to be built and to grow through the preaching of his word, it is a sinful act of disobedience for preaching not to be a regular mark of God's gathered people for worship. In fact, some years ago, Christians would have told you that one of the distinguishing marks of a true church was that it was a place where the word is preached. They would say, in other words, that if there is no preaching of the word, you don't have a church. One of the things that I love and have always loved about Edgewood is that Edgewood has revered God's Word, has been hungry for it, has demanded it. 
let me commend you for that, and let me go even a step further to say, if at any point in time, anyone who would stand up here ceases to preach God's word, gently but firmly move that man out. Apart from God's word being given to his people, there is no life. There may be the appearance of life, but there's nothing but death. It's the word of God that gives life. It's the word of God that gives new birth. It's the word of God that sanctifies. And his people are built up on the steady diet and consumption of God's word. Flip back just a page or two to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Notice here, just as a way to, to link up the command in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word, look at what God has done. Remember in Exodus, we, we took note of the fact in a couple different places how one of the things that makes God good and gracious is not merely that he gives commands, but that whatever he commands, he also gives. In other words, he makes provision for his people to be able to obey the commands that he has given them. So in 1 Timothy chapter 5, skip down with me to verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. God has commanded that his church sit under the regular preaching of his word. And in order to guarantee that that happens, the Lord raises up men known as elders, leaders, whose primary responsibility is to guide and govern the church according to the word of the Lord. That word is to be so valued and treasured by God's people that they will actually pay someone to give themselves full time to the study and teaching and preaching of God's word. That's the next verse. The ones who rule well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, are to be considered worthy of double honor. For the scripture says, you will not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. This is one of the reasons that Christians pay their pastors. Because they demand that their pastor immerse himself in the word so that he can feed them the word of God. If, as we read, as we heard, read over us earlier in this service, Psalm 19, talking about the beauty, the perfection of the Lord's instruction and the Lord's word, his commands, his statutes, his word are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. They're sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Do you believe that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One of the reasons that the church, through the centuries, has given financially, monetarily, to support their pastors is because they need and know that they need a constant feeding on the riches of God's word. And because that is what they value and prize, because that is their life and their health, they are willing to pay for that to be done. Listen, the, the point here, I'm, I'm afraid now I'm going to start to be taken out of context. This is not an appeal for money, all right? I realize now all of a sudden that's what it sounds like. This is not an appeal for money, all right? This is a way to say that by God's design and instruction, God's people are to view His Word and the preaching of His Word as the greatest 
treasure and gift that they can be given. The greatest gift that God has given is himself in the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. The second gift goes along with it. It's his word. So because of this then, we say that not only is there a clear example or pattern in the scriptures that God's people have regularly sat under the preaching of his word, that Jesus himself was a preacher, that he commissioned his disciples to teach, that Paul instructed Timothy to preach regularly. We want to look and we want to see why, in part, preaching is to be a priority for our gathered worship. Start with me in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. So for my part, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man will live by faith. One sixteen and 17 is, is usually one of, the, one of the places in Romans that gets a lot of attention for good reason. We're going we're to mention a few reasons why in just a moment here but particularly because we're talking not just simply about God's Word or the Gospel, but we're talking about the actual delivering of God's Word through the mode of preaching. Do you see what Paul says in 1.15? I am eager to preach the Gospel to you in Rome. You understand that Paul is saying this at the very beginning of a lengthy letter, what we would consider perhaps to be lengthy, letter to these Christians in Rome. Why not just say, well, I've written you everything you need to know, and I've sent it to you, therefore, I'll change my plans. I don't really need to see you guys in Rome. Paul is sending, by way of letter, what many consider to be the most complete explanation of the gospel the message of how God saves sinful people and makes them right. It's deep, it's sophisticated, it's intricate. And before he even gets into his writing, he's saying, but as in, along with all of this, all that I'm writing, I still desire to come and to preach to you. God has designed His Word, or God uses the preaching of His Word through the mode of this form, this style of communication, to be effective. So that if Paul seems to think that in addition to my writing of this letter, I desire for your benefit and for mine, to be preaching in your midst, in person. That is a high estimation of the value of preaching for God's Word. A podcast will not duplicate what happens here on a Sunday morning. Not because there aren't good podcasts out there. Not because you can't find good preachers on podcasts. But it cannot duplicate what's happening right now. A TED Talk will not duplicate what happens here on a Sunday morning. A good book will not take the place 
of the ministry of God's Word through preaching. Paul says the reason that he is desirous, eager to preach the gospel to Christians in Rome, verse 16, one, is because he's not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, but why are you not ashamed of the gospel, Paul? Why do you desire, why do you go everywhere preaching this news, this announcement about Christ conquering sin and death on the cross and in the resurrection? Because Paul says in Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is. What is the power of God to salvation? The gospel is. The words of the gospel being preached are powerful. Listen, people, do not underestimate what God does in here on a Sunday morning through the preaching of his word. I don't care who it is that's doing the preaching. If his word is rightly being preached, that word is coming in some shape or form in power to accomplish a work that only God can accomplish. Look at, let's do it this way. Go to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. This is the vision of the valley of the dry bones. Ezekiel is in a vision, goes into a place where there are nothing but bones scattered around, dry and brittle. And he's told to prophesy to the bones. And as he begins to prophesy to the bones, the bones are fitted back together. And flesh comes back on the bones. And then, having an intact body now laying around in the valley, he's told, now, now prophesy that breath would be put into their lungs. And so he prophesies, he speaks. Sort of Old Testament preaching preaches to these bones to be put together and then preaches to these inanimate bodies to live. And they do. And listen to what the Lord says to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Listen, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. What happens when God's word is preached? Dead people are made alive. People in a spiritual grave, in a tomb, are called out to live in new life. It's the picture of Jesus standing outside the tomb of Lazarus. He doesn't even enter the tomb. He doesn't lay his hands on him. He calls to him. He commands him and says, Lazarus, come out. And the effective working of that command, the voice of the Lord speaking to that dead body, changes it from death to life. That's what happens in the preaching of God's Word. Dead people come to life. Listen, it was, it was not so long ago that one of, the, one of the cures, right, for societal ills or for your neighbor or something like that, you're right, they, they need a little religion. Well, just, you need to get in church. That's what you need. I used to cringe when I would hear people say that, right? You just need to come to church. 
Right. I think, though, it depends on what you mean or what you intend when you say you need to come to church. If by that you mean this person who is dead in their sin and making a wreck of their life needs to come to church because they need a little bit of morality and, and some revamped ethical standards, that's not what they need. Moral people can be dead people. But if you mean you need to get into church because you know there, whether they realize it or not, they're going to sit under the preaching, the announcement, the declaration of God's life-giving word, then by that I say, amen. Bring that man in and sit him down. And let the word of God ring in his ears. Let it prick his conscience. Let him feel the weight of eternity. But then let him hear the voice of a Savior calling him to life. But it's not even that the preaching of God's word is necessary to bring people out of death into life. That's true. But still in Romans 1... Paul says in verse 17 that in the gospel, in the preaching of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, the preaching of the gospel is not just for people who need to get into life, it's for people who already have that life. Your growth and development in the faith that has saved you through the work of Christ grows and deepens and matures as you continue to hear Christ and His message preached to you on a regular basis. Saying that, go then to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is where we started. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Notice verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. In context, I think what Paul means there is the gifting that the Lord has given you to preach, to teach. Do not neglect that gift which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance by the laying on of hands by the presbytery or by the group of elders. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And then take special note of verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself, preacher, and to your teaching. That is your doctrine, what it is that you preach. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, as you persevere in right preaching, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that one of the ways that God keeps you in your faith is by sitting under the preaching of His Word? One of the ways that God keeps church leaders in their faith is by driving them back to his word over and over and over again. If not for the simple fact that they know that another Sunday is coming. What does this imply then? If the regular preaching and teaching of God's Word in a gathered setting like this is essential to secure and maintain your salvation, what risk do you run by not regularly gathering together on a Sunday morning? What is the risk? The risk, according to Paul, is that if you drift 
out of earshot of God's word, if you are not sitting under the preaching of God's word, you may drift from the faith and be lost altogether. It means something for your spiritual growth and development, not just that you hear someone preaching in a recording, but that you are here so that eyes can be laid on you, so that you know when this word is being spoken, it's being spoken to you. Because it's too easy for me when I'm listening to a sermon or watching a sermon online, there is a safe, comfortable distance between me and that preacher. He's not talking to me. He's talking to them, those people who were there when he first gave that sermon. And we come every Sunday morning to preach God's word and say, this is what the Lord is saying to you, individually and us corporately. And you run the risk of wrecking your faith if you do not submit yourself to hearing and responding to God's Word. That is how crucial it is to have God's Word preached on a regular basis. God's Word preached on a regular basis. Because this statement in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, is God himself saying that he keeps his people in their salvation by the preaching of his word. That means that right now, as you hear this, this is God speaking to you through his word to say, you better come back next Sunday. And it's also God strongly suggesting to you that if you know a brother or sister who is not here but ought to be here, you ought to be going and telling them, you and I desperately need to be at Edgewood, gathered together with our brothers and sisters to hear the Lord speak his good word over us. Let me say just a couple things, and we'll wrap up here. We said earlier when we started this series that it is not only important that we worship in the, in, with the right elements, right? That we have rightly ordered music with good content, the call to worship, right? That it's biblical. But that we said that one of the things that we oftentimes miss out on is that we think in terms of our worship particularly in this day and age, as being primarily expressive. It's an opportunity for us to express ourselves. Preaching runs directly contrary to that, right? Any of you during this sermon felt particularly free to express yourself? Probably not. If you did, it was in a very muted or tame way. Let me suggest to you that another reason that God has designed his people to thrive under the preaching of his word is because the actual exercise of sitting under regular preaching is itself one of the ways that God forms and shapes his people. Let me give you three quick reasons. Number one, because when we sit for the preaching of God's word, it trains us to listen for his voice and not for ours. My inner monologue is not first and foremost what's happening. I'm hearing a voice outside of myself being directed to me. And as I sit and listen, I contribute nothing to what God has said. I receive God's good word. Preaching is a reminder that we receive God's goodness in the receiving of his word. Second, it reminds us that God, yes, he speaks to individuals, but God primarily speaks to a people. 
These words are for you, but not only for you. You need to hear these words with your brothers and sisters so that you can share them together and grow in those words together. And then last, another reason why we desperately need preaching is because more often than not, we don't actually know what we need to hear. If the extent of your exposure to God's Word is you scrolling through a podcast menu or a devotional to find a passage that you particularly like or a sermon that you want to hear or a topic that you find interesting, what if what God wants you to hear is something that you don't want to hear? What if what God wants you to hear is something that you don't even know you need to hear? But because God, in His wisdom and love for you, knows what's coming around the corner in another week, in another year, in another decade, He has graciously put you in a place where you can hear His life-giving words and you can be prepared and anchored and rooted for anything that comes in this life. In that respect, God is the one who feeds his people best. And he does that through his word. Let's pray. Father, as we close, we ask that you would take even these brief moments that we've had in your word to renew within us a sense of sobriety, a seriousness, a, a, even a, a sober joy in the gift of your word. To know that it's in the word, the voice of our shepherd calling us, that we are brought to life. That it's through the word of our Savior that we are nourished and fed. And we pray that according to your grace and your mercy, that you have demonstrated to this local church over many, many years, that you would continue to keep this church rooted and grounded in the scriptures. That you would bring men and women, young adults, children, to sit under the preaching of your word, not for any preacher, but purely for the prize and the treasure of your word so that more people would be brought from death to life. May we value and prize your word above any of our other earthly possessions because it is valuable for this life and the life to come. The word of the Lord endures forever. And to this we say, amen.